Now, uh, just, to, just to flag up for those of you who don't know, over the past uh, six months, we've begun as a church running uh, something we've called a discussion group. We run it out of the Dancing Cup on a Monday evening, the first Monday of every month, uh, down at the Dancing Cup. It runs um, from 7.30, uh, and the next one's actually tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow being the first Monday of uh, February, we've, we've got one coming up tomorrow. Um, and we're going to be talking about the question, uh, do we have spiritual needs? That, that's the question we're looking at. Um, now, I don't want to kind of rehearse the talk now because it'll, it'll kind of get me off on a tangent. But I, I just want to say I'm really looking forward to having a chat about this. I think it's an interesting question. People talk about uh, spiritual needs and the kind of spiritual things that we need to do. And that's both Christians and non-Christians talk about those things. People who believe all kinds of different things talk about those. So just having a bit of chat about kind of what do we mean by that? If, if we do have spiritual needs, then what, what actually are they? And I guess crucially, how, how might we go about meeting those needs? If we have a, a spiritual need, how do we as human beings meet those needs? So that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Now, I, I want you to imagine that um, as you've been sitting there uh, listening to me describe that, you've been sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds quite good. I quite fancy, I quite fancy going to that discussion group. So you come up to me uh, after the talk uh, this afternoon, you say, Say, Ben, I'm thinking I might go down to the Dancing Cup tomorrow night. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what it's like? Uh, and I, and I, so I tell you, well, we, we kind of go down, we arrive down. There's a bit of time for us just to chat, uh, just catch up with each other. There's kind of free cake, free teas, coffees, you know, whatever drink your drink of choice is. Um, and then there's a short talk about the topic. And then we spend the rest of uh, the evening, probably 45 minutes-ish, just talking about that within, within small groups on the table. So I explain this to you and you think... Yeah, okay, I think, I think I fancy that. So, so tomorrow night, you, you manage to venture out of your house uh, at, at an appropriate time, or probably 10 minutes too late, like most of us. Um, but, you, you know, you get out of your house, and, and you head down uh, to the dancing cup, and you, you walk in, uh, and you look around. And you, you, as you look around the room, you think, it seems like quite quiet. Like people, people aren't really chatting all that much. But, you know, you think, well, that maybe it'll warm up. So you, you go to the... You go to the counter and you, you get yourself your cake and you drink and you're sitting down next to some people who you maybe you don't really know and you sit down and there's not, there's not a lot of chat, but you, know, you try and you know, keep things going a little bit. So you ask them a few questions, you know, how's your week been? You know, those kind of generic questions. You're not getting a lot back, um, but you think, you know, it's okay. This is like the preview. They don't really know me. Maybe we're all just a bit nervous. So, so it's not really going anywhere. And then, then I, I stand up and uh, do a talk about do we have spiritual needs? Uh, and at the end of it, then I go, right, now you've got time, guys, just to sit down and talk about this. So you're like, great, now's, now's the discussion time. This is what I came for. I came for a discussion group. I'm ready to talk about this issue. But, but you sit there, uh, and no one says anything. You're just in a, in a little group of silence. And you're looking around, just waiting for someone, so someone to say something. Wait, come on, come on, I thought we were going to talk about this. And no one really is. So you're like, well... You know, I'm going to try and start us off. So, so you say something, instantly regret having been the one to open your mouth, wish that you hadn't, spend the rest of the night going back, I can't believe I said that thing. And everyone just looks at you like, what are they doing? They're, they're talking. Like, that's not what we signed up for. Uh, and you do this for about five minutes, awkward, awkward silence around the table as you look at each other, th thinking, when, when does this discussion thing start? And then, and then people just start drifting off. People start going home. And after 10 minutes, you look around the dance club, you realize you're the only person left sat there. Probably you'd have left before this point, if you have any sort of self-respect. But you look around, and, you, and everyone else has, fill, has filled off. So you think, I, I should probably just head home. And so you go home, I would imagine 
a little bit bemused. Like, like, what has just happened? Like, I've gone along to this thing called a discussion group, and there has been no discussion. Like, like what, what has just happened there? What was going on? Like, I could, underst- I, like I, could go, I could understand if I went to a discussion group and there wasn't, like, free drinks and, and cake. Like, I, I, could get, I could understand that. I mean, I'd be sad, don't get me wrong. I'd be sad about that situation. But I could at least understand it. I could see how you, that you could still have a discussion group without cake and, uh, and drinks. I, I get that. I, and I could even understand if you had it without a talk, although it might make my discussions a little less well-informed. But, but that's fine. You know, being ill-informed has never stopped me discussing things in the past. Why should it now? Um, and, uh, but, but to go to something called a discussion group and there to be no discussion, that, that seems a little bit problematic. A discussion group without discussion sh- surely ceases to be the very thing you've described. It would be like going to a knitting group without any knitting, or, I don't know, a wine tasting without any wine, or a football match without any football. Uh, as a Middlesbrough fan, I go to those all the time. Um, but, but, you know, you, 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 get, you get the idea. Like, you know, it, it's like if you go to something that is meant to be that thing, if it doesn't have that thing within it, at what point does it stop, stop being of any value? There are some activities which are so fundamental that it would be impossible to still be the thing you're claiming to be without that activity. Now, I want to suggest that prayer is one of those things for a church. Okay? It's one of the things that's so fundamental to what it means to be a church that the absence of it sort of cease, means that you cease to be a church. Because a church is, is simply a group of people who have been adopted by God into his family, you know, brought into relationship with him. You know, we've recognized that we, we need to know the God who created us, that we have this deep desire to know him. We found the forgiveness that's available to us through Jesus. And now we've been brought into his family. We are his, his, God's child. But imagine a church which is claiming to be God's children and yet doesn't talk to their heavenly father. To what extent can you still claim to be God's child if you don't ever talk to him? Like, what does, does, that, does that statement even have any meaning at that point? A church which doesn't talk to God is surely not that different to a discussion group where people don't discuss, or, I don't know, a hockey team where no one plays hockey. Like, it, it's surely not that dissimilar. Now, so, so if you're here for the first time this week, or actually, more accurately, if you just happened to miss last week, um, then you just need to know we're, we're on week two in a two-week mini-series looking at prayer. Um, so last week, Michael was chatting to us about, broadly speaking, the, the question of how do we pray? And he was looking at Jesus' teaching about prayer from Matthew 6. And he was really helpful, he was helping us to think through kind of what sort of things do we need to think about if we are going to talk to this father who has adopted us, brought us into his family. And this week, all I want to do, it's going to be pretty simple, is I just want to chat through a little bit. What do we pray about? So, so what are the kind of things that we talk to our heavenly father about? And, and let's be honest, that, knowing what to talk about it is a common challenge for us. 
So, you know, you, you arrange to, I don't know, have a, go out for a meal with your wife after your normal hectic life. So you get some people to look after your kids, you know, you get them, eventually get them kind of settled enough that you feel you can leave them with people without like worrying for their safety. Um, not the children, the, the person looking after them, obviously. Um, and, um, uh, and you finally are able to leave the house. You go out for this meal and you sit down opposite your wife and you suddenly like, what are we talking about? Like, like what, what are we meant? Like, uh, this, is, this is good. We've got time to talk. But what are we actually now going to talk about? Or, or maybe it's not that scenario. Maybe it's some, you meet up with a friend who you haven't seen for months or, or maybe even a, a year. And you're like, I've, had a, I've got a whole year's worth of stuff to talk to this person about. And you sit down in front of them and you're suddenly like, I actually don't know what to say. Like, I, like the, the trivial stuff seems too trivial. Uh, and nothing that isn't trivial happens in my life. I live a trivial life. Um, and so, so I've either got unimportant trivial things to talk about or nothing, or I've got some important things that I want to talk about, but I'm actually not ready to talk about that. I've, you know, I'm not kind of warmed up. I'm not in a position, having not talked to this person for a year, I'm not ready to just suddenly divulge all my deepest and darkest secrets. So you sit opposite each other, you know, scrabbling around trying to find something to talk about. You know, finding what it is that we talk to people about can be more challenging than we think. And I, th I think this is especially true when it comes to prayer. Because often what the way conversation works is you start chatting about something, uh, and then you say something, they say something back, and that kind of sparks a thought in your mind. So you're off somewhere else, then you're off somewhere else, and the conversation just sort of goes from there. But, but most of us don't have that same experience with prayer. We don't regularly hear audible responses from God, m most of us. And so our desire to talk to him can often be hard to put into practice in the way that we like. You know, we, we've, we've thought last week, how do we pray? What kind of things do we do? And we've gone away from that thinking, yes, I want to talk to my Heavenly Father. But when it actually comes to the business of getting there and praying to him, we very quickly run out of things to say. Like, what am I meant to talk to God about? I just want to encourage you, there's, there's good news for us. Because in, in Matthew 6, Jesus doesn't only teach us how to pray, he also says, and these are the kind of things that you should pray about. Th these are the kind of things you should talk to your Heavenly Father about. He, he knows our weaknesses. He understands the challenge. And so he, he says, look, these are the, this is how you should pray. These are the kind of things you should pray about. So all I want to do for the rest of this afternoon is, I just want, I'm just going to look through um, Matthew 6, verse 9 down to 15. Um, it's one of the most famous bits of the Bible. It's what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Um, lots of people who have never been in church will know the Lord's Prayer, will have come across it, you know, maybe at assemblies or various other things. Um, and I just want to help us use this. I just want to use this to help us think about what kind of things do we talk to God about? If, if you're someone here this afternoon, you don't, you don't know God as your father. Like that, you just go, I know some stuff about God. Um, I'm you know, semi-interested in God, but I haven't yet come to know Jesus, haven't found forgiveness, don't know him as my heavenly dad at the moment. I, I want you to hear this afternoon as an invitation to you. That, that's how I want you to engage with it. An invitation to come and know the God of the universe as your heavenly dad, to be able to talk to him in the kind of way we are going to talk about this afternoon. So, so let's get into it. We're going we're to start in verse 9. Jesus says it like this. This then is how you should pray. 
starts like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins by saying, as we, should, as we pray, we should begin by being clear about who we're praying to. Now, this was one of Michael's central ideas last week, so I'm not going to labor the point. If, if you weren't here last week, you can you know, catch that on the website and you can listen to it. And Jesus is quite clear that as we pray, we need to be aware who it is we're praying to. We, we want to address God as our Heavenly Father and our Holy God. Both of those things are important because God is our dad who loves us and cares for us and is committed to our good. That, that's part of how we relate to God. But he is also our holy God. You know, he is a God who is not like us. That's what the word holy means. You know, set apart, distinct. He is different to us. When we are talking to God, we are not talking to a bigger version of us. That's not who we're talking to. We're talking to the God who is so holy that when people see him, they become aware of their own weakness. They become aware of their own sin. They become aware of their own impurity. That, that's who we're talking to. So on the one hand, we're talking to the God who is our heavenly dad who loves to hear his children speak to him. On the other hand, we're talking to our God who is holy, different to us, set apart. And the key bit of that difference is his purity. That's who we're talking to. So sometimes when I'm talking to I don't know, Sarah or, or my kids, um, I, might, I might start, so if I'm talking to Sarah, I might start by saying, Sarah, I love you, and then blah, 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 blah. Now, now if I'm honest, if I started a sentence talking to Sarah with the phrase, Sarah, I love you, she's probably going to be quite worried about what's coming after that. It's, it's probably not going to be a good follow-up. Um, like, I'm probably prefacing it like that because I've got some you know, slightly difficult things I want to say at that point. But, but the reason I'm saying it is because I want to remind her and remind myself of the relationship that is underpinning this conversation. The relationship that is underpinning that, the conversation I'm going to have with my wife at that point is a relationship of mutual love. I love her, she loves me. And we need to understand as we go into the conversation that that is what underpins this. In fact, though most of the time when I'm talking to Sarah, I don't start it with, Sarah, I love you. I do want to always be thinking of that as I enter into a conversation with her. Whether I'm saying it or not, I want to be aware that that needs to underpin my conversation. I want the words I say to be shaped by my love for Sarah, and I want the way she hears those to be shaped by knowledge of my love for her and her love for me. You see... That understanding the relationship helps us to speak well to each other. Now, given the nature of our relationship with God, so if you, if, you were, if you were to talk about your own relationship with God, all of our relationship with God has at some point been less than wholly positive. You know, the Bible says that, that all of us, at some point in our life, were enemies to God. Hostile to him, rejecting him going our own way, ignoring him, wanting nothing to do with him. Given that that is where we've come from, given that that is where every one of us started our relationship with God, it's important that we underpin our prayers by acknowledging the nature of our new relationship with him. 
So here's, here's what I'm suggesting. We might start our prayers by saying, God, I know that you are my heavenly father and I know that you love me. And I want to talk to you now, recognizing both your love for me, and, but also your holiness. Or you might not say that, but you might, before you pray, spend some time meditating on that truth. Or you might simply start by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, so that's where I think we need to start. We think about kind of what do we say to God? How do we talk to him? It's got to flow out of an understanding of God as our father and God as holy. And we want to acknowledge that as we start talking to him. If we don't do that, the danger is that our prayers fail to reflect the supernatural transformation that has happened in our relationship with God. So, so that's where we're, we're going to start. Where do we go next? Let's, let's look at the next words. You probably know them. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is, where is our heart when we come to God in prayer? Uh, like what is going on in our heart at that moment that we sit down, stand up, kneel down, whatever you do to talk to your heavenly father? Or, or to put it another way, what do you want when you come to God in prayer? Like what's driving you to pray? What's your desire? What are you hoping to get out of this experience? What outcome are you hoping for? You see, that's, that's so often how our conversations work. Our conversations work because we have a goal in mind. This is what we want to happen as a result of this conversation. Let, let me give you some examples. We enter into a conversation with our boss, hoping for a specific outcome. For example, I, w- I enter into a conversation with my boss hoping that he will give me a certain piece of work or that she will give somebody else that piece of work. And I know what I want as I go into the conversation. Like, I know what it is I'm trying to aim for in this conversation. I know what a successful outcome would be. And that goal then dominates the entire conversation. You know, the conversation basically becomes a chess game where you're doing a move and they're counter-moving, and then you're doing a move all the way, all the time, trying to maneuver the conversation to get to the outcome that you want from this conversation. And, and the success of the conversation is based entirely on, do you get the outcome that you want from that conversation? Did, did, did at the end of it, the boss either give you the piece of work or give somebody else the piece of work? The same is true of conversations with our family. You know, we we enter into a conversation thinking, what are the words that I need to say in order to gain the uh, the appreciation from my family that I think I deserve? You know, how is it that I can maneuver this conversation to ensure that I I receive the appreciation that I want? Or what do I need to say in order to get permission from my wife to do whatever it is I want to do on Friday night? You know, like we, we, we we know what we're trying to get to, and the conversation is dominated by how do we achieve that outcome. I, I, I want to suggest that the vast majority of the conversations you have will, will probably look a bit like that. You'll know what you would constitute a good conversation to be, a good outcome to the conversation, and all we're doing in the conversation is manoeuvring to try and get the outcome we want. Now, they may be unacknowledged, So you may not have thought before going into the conversation, this is what I want from this conversation. You may not have acknowledged them even to yourself, but they're often there. And they impact the things we say 
And they also impact, crucially, how we feel at the end of the conversation. The quality of the conversation is entirely determined by the degree to which we were able to engineer our desired outcome. Now, now the reason I, I just want us to be aware of that is because the same is so often true about our conversations with God. The same basic principle. We go into them with a clear set of desires and goals. This is what we want from this conversation. This is what we want out of our conversation with God. Maybe we want certain very tangible outcomes. So maybe we go into the prayer going, these are the things I want God to do for me, and, and now I want to see how much he does those things. We want God to deal with an issue or to change the way we feel, to change the circumstances we're going through. And again, the degree to which we think our conversations with God or, or our prayers have gone well is measured by the degree to which we get the outcome we want from it. Now, because that's how we're tempted to approach all conversations, including conversations with God, here at the start of our prayers, we want to realign our priorities. We need to go into prayer recognizing that what we, what we want to do is talk to God about the things we care about, about the things we want, about the things we need. So we want to talk to him about those things, but we want to do that recognizing that the outcome we want from these is simply for God to have heard what we've said and for God then to do what he thinks is right. That's the outcome we want from our prayers. We want God to hear us and then we want God to do what's right in that situation. That is a huge realignment for us. And that's, not, that's not like a little change in the way we think about the world. That's a, a huge realignment that we need to have because so often what we want is not aligned to what God wants at all. God wants us to love and pursue other people. We want to love and pursue ourselves. God wants us to sacrifice. We want to get more stuff. God wants us to grow and develop, and we want an easy life. God wants us to pursue righteousness. We want to pursue sin. Our, our goals and desires are not aligned. We don't go into prayer with the same priorities as God has. Which is why it's so important that at the, heart, at, the, at the heart of our prayer, we are realigning our priorities to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, our priorities are faulty. We constantly prioritize things which are not good for us. Human beings are, are masters at wanting things which are not just bad for other people, but are actually bad for us ourselves. And so we need to remind ourselves day in, day out, what God wants for me in this situation will inevitably be better than what I want for myself in that situation. If God's will was done in this situation, that would be the perfect outcome. If God's rule was as comprehensive in this area of my life as it is in heaven, all of those situations would be better than we could possibly imagine. See, that's the realignment we need to go on. And if we don't have that realignment going into prayer, we're going to find the conversations frustrating because we're entering into them like we enter into every other conversation. What do I need to say to get the outcome I want? And then when we don't get the outcome we want, we feel like the conversation has failed because a successful conversation is one where we have managed to manipulate the outcome that we want. You can't pray like that. You'll always be dissatisfied. 
all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our dissatisfaction has at its root the fact that we do not pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every bit of our dissatisfaction, of our sin, of our rebellion has at its heart the fact that we cannot say those words and mean them. So as we start our prayer, we fix our eyes on who God is, our loving Father, our holy God. Then we need to realign our priorities. And now what do we do? Now we present our requests to God. That's where Jesus goes, isn't it? Like, like the rest of the prayer is just, is just requests to our heavenly Father, our holy God. I'm just going to take them one at a time. There's three. There's three, I think, core requests. Number one, give us today our daily bread. Our first request is for daily provision. Here's my tip for, for praying this. Okay, super practical tip how you go about praying this. As you sit down to pray, you know, maybe on a notebook, maybe on the back of your hand, maybe just mentally in your head, think about what do you need today? You know, get up in the morning and go, what do I need today? What do I need to get through today? Now, we all need food and drink and shelter and clothing. So you can pray, give us today our, our daily bread. We can all pray that. We all need that to get through today. But our needs may go further than that. So maybe it's, as you get up in the morning, it's a prayer God, give me the strength and the motivation to get out of bed today. Maybe life feels hard for you. You feel unmotivated, and even just getting out of bed, getting dressed and getting on with the day feels like a challenge. What do you need today? I need the motivation and the strength to get up. So I pray, God, give me today what I need to do that. Maybe you have a difficult conversation or, or situation that you're facing that day. You know, you, you get up in the morning anxious. Maybe at the start of the day, as you go into that difficult conversation, it's just, God, give me the words that I need to say in this conversation I have ahead of me today. As you go into that situation that you're feeling so anxious about, it's, God, give me a deep-seated trust in you that quietens those fears as I go into what I'm facing today. Maybe, maybe as you get up in the morning, what you have to do on that day seems impossible to you. You look through the list and you're like, there's just no way I can do everything that I want to do today. You're already stressed about all the things you're not going to have done by the end of the day, before you've even started the day. Maybe as you get up in the day, you just need to pray for strength to keep going, for wisdom to prioritize, for grace for when you fail, for trust for those areas that you never get to that day. What is it that you need today? You take that to God and you say, give me today my daily bread. Now, of course, it is perfectly possible that things that you think you need today are not what God thinks that you need today. It is perfectly possible that God disagrees with you about the things that you need in the day. You might think you need to be super efficient, and God might decide that what you really need is to be aware of your limitations. You might think 
that you need to be freed from that situation, and God might think you need to develop perseverance as you go through that situation. But that shouldn't stop us praying the request. Because what have we just prayed before this? God, your will be done. You see, we've already handed it over to God. We've already realigned our priorities. So we can ask in full confidence, say, this is what I want today. This is what I think I need today. Knowing that if we don't need it, God won't give it to us. We ask for what we think we need, having already recognized that the best outcome for that thing is that God gives us what he thinks we need. So what do you need today? Every day, just start the day. Get up. What do I need today? Pray those things. Take them to your heavenly Father. That's the first request. Second request, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Our next request is for forgiveness. We long for a restored relationship with the God we've rejected. And for this to be the case, each one of us needs forgiveness. We need his forgiveness for our indifference, for our hostility to him. We need forgiveness for all the ways our rebellion has caused harm and damage to the world, to other people, and to ourselves. And so what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. First request, what is it I need today? Second request, forgive me for the harm and damage I caused to you, to others, to myself, to your world. I talked a bit about this last week. I don't want to go back there. Forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. If you don't, if you don't need forgiveness, Christianity's got nothing for you. Like literally nothing for you. It, it, if it's for people who need to be forgiven. That's who Christianity's for. I don't want to labor the point. Final thing we ask for is for protection. Along with a lot of the rest of the UK, um, Sarah and I have been watching Happy Valley over the past um, few weeks. We're, we're quite late to it, so we haven't watched the early season, so we're just catching up. Now, for those of you who haven't watched it and are thinking, oh, Happy Valley, that sounds nice and heartwarming about a valley where everyone's really happy. It's not that, okay? The happy is definitely ironic. Um, it's, about, it's about life in the Yorkshire Moors, but not in a sort of, I don't know, James Herriot way, more in a kind of drug dealing and all evils under the sun kind of way. You see addictions, you see the indifference and abuse that those addictions lead to, you see greed and people who suffer as a result, you see violence and rape and manipulation and humiliation. And I've got to be honest, as I watch it, I just find myself sighing, like just over and over again. It's just, it's really easy to despair at, at the brokenness of the world as you watch that. Now, there's, there's bits of me that just want to turn it off and go, can I not just watch a comedy again and have a lovely time? But one of, one of the things that has struck me as I've been watching it is that what it deals with is not just the evil that's sort of out there in society, but it also deals with that, the evil within how much of the suffering as you watch it is self-inflicted. People make one bad decision motivated by greed or anger or envy, and suddenly they're embroiled in this world of pain and murder and stress and violence. One, one bad decision motivated by faulty priorities, and all of a sudden, everything seems to be going wrong around them. And so what do we pray? We pray, and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. We pray for God's protection, for his protection from the evil which is all around us, from the evil of a world in rebellion against God where violence and abuse are much more common than we'd like to admit. But we also pray for protection from the evil within, from our own capacity to be tempted by money or sex or status or power and to find that we've suddenly entered a world of evil and pain and suffering, both for those around us but also for ourselves. So we pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Our three central requests as we talk to our loving Heavenly Father are these. Daily provision, what do I need today? Forgiveness for our sins, how can I find forgiveness for all my brokenness? And protection from the evil, both within and without us. If you want to know what you talk to God about, they're the three centerpieces of what we talk to God about when we talk to him. But then what do we do? I find verse 14 and 15 just interesting. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You sit down, you talk to God. You acknowledge his nature and character as our loving heavenly Father. You acknowledge his holiness. You realign your priorities to say, actually, the best outcome I could possibly want from this is your will, your kingdom to rule over my life. You take those requests for daily provision, for forgiveness, for protection to him, and then you stop praying and you go about your life. You know, you you get up and you go to work. You get up and you get the kids dressed. You get up and you go and meet with a friend. You get up and do whatever you're doing. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you pray... And then you live a life consistent with the things you pray. You live accordingly. Imagine if I said to Sarah, Sarah, I love you, but I repeatedly hurt her, repeatedly ignored her, refused to do anything for her. At some point, she would stop believing those words. She's got those words, they just don't, they don't mean anything. It doesn't matter how many times you sit me down and say those words to me, there is nothing that sits behind those words. They are just noise. You could be saying any words at that point. Imagine I had a conversation about um, how I was going to spend my evening. Uh, and you know, we chatted about it and said, you know, oh, well, do you think we should do this? Do you think we should do this? You know, what are we going to do with this evening? We had a long conversation. We planned it all out. And then I just went and did whatever I wanted to do anyway. At some point, she'd start opting out of those conversations and say, there's no point in having a conversation about how you're going to spend your evening because you're going to do whatever you want anyway. Imagine I was constantly calling her to generosity and to sacrifice. But never willing to be generous and sacrifice myself. At some point she'd say, wait wait a minute, you, you can't keep calling me to that if that's not the life you're living. Jesus is clear. You need to live out what you pray for. If you pray for forgiveness... You need to show that forgiveness is important to you by forgiving other people. If you want to pray for daily needs to be met, you need to live a life of actual dependence on God. If you're going to pray to not be led into temptation, you you need to show those words are genuine by walking away. All of us 
understand the meaning of someone's words by the lives they lead. That's how we understand what they mean when they say different things. So we pray, God, your will be done, and then we pursue God's will. We pray for daily needs to be met, and we don't constantly panic about how our needs will be met. We pray for forgiveness, and we go and offer forgiveness to those around us. Jesus is clear, our words only have meaning to the extent that they're a reflection of our lives and hearts. So pray, and then live out the prayers that you make. And then you will truly know what it is to have a Father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, who knows what you need. And then you will receive the rewards not like the Pharisees of the approval of others, but of a relationship with the God you've spent your whole life longing for.